welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Eventful Thursday around here. We're going to talk a lot about soccer over the next hour plus. I myself am girding for Snowmageddon, the snowpocalypse, the, the, the biggest snow event DC has ever seen, which is apparently starting tomorrow. I hope that this doesn't interrupt anything to do with this show. And I got some things to work out, but hopefully we'll be good to go. If you are in the DC metropolitan area or the mid Atlantic or anywhere that's going to get a significant amount of snow, here's my advice to you. In fact, this is the, the number one tip that experts say will help you beat the winter weather that's coming. Don't drive. Stay off the roads. Don't even try. If it's snowing, go home. Sit. It doesn't even matter. If you live in DC and because last night we got a dusting. A dusting, like like half an inch of snow fell on the D.C. metropolitan area last night, and the Beltway was like it was like a post-apocalyptic scene out of out of Mad Max. It was there were eight hundred reported wrecks, accidents in the D.C. metropolitan area last night, and we didn't even get any. There's not a damn. It's gone already. Good lord. On this program today, Jeff Kasu from Equalizer Soccer. And NBC Sports. We're going to talk to Jeff, and I don't have it in the news, and I missed it, but I will. We will do it in depth with Jeff, so maybe it's not uh, important to include it in our rundown. The the saga with Mallory Pugh, who we reported, a seventeen year old phenom, an offer on the table to go play soccer at UCLA. Reports were she was going to sign directly out of high school with the Portland Thorns, and that the league had created a new mechanism in order to make this happen. Apparently, there's been some sort of reversal. We're going to talk to Jeff about all of this. It's very fascinating stuff, um, in just in terms of the back and forth of it. It's a, it's, it's a little bit Jordan Morris, and, and, I, and I'm going to quote somebody on Twitter, uh, Kevin McCauley from SB Nation, who said his position on Mallory Pugh is the same as his position on uh, on any player. Do what the hell you want to do. And yes, of course, Mallory Pugh should do what she wants to do. Uh, I, I don't know what kind of commitment she made, but we'll talk to Jeff Kasuf about it. it. It should be a fascinating uh, discussion uh, about the women's game and the state of the women's game. And, and again, what NWSL is attempting to do right now. All right, here's your news. Let's start with the inevitable response from head coach Jurgen Klinsmann of the U.S. men's national team to Benny Failhaber after Failhaber called out Klinsmann on his selection process. The uh, U.S. men's national team head coach said, we had Benny several times with us and he never had an impact in the moments he had the opportunity with the national team under my guidance. I cannot speak for Bob Bradley. <clears throat> Excuse me. Bob had his own experiences with him. Whenever he came in with us, he never made an impression that made us say, this is international level. It's as simple as that. So there you go. I mean, that's pretty, pretty hardcore stuff from Klinsman. Now, again, Failhaber went into further player, uh, player selection and named a bunch of players in MLS that he believes should get called. Klinsman did not necessarily feel the need to respond on that front. And again, it's his team. He can run it the way he wants it as long as he has the job. Klinsman also expressed happiness with Jordan Morris's decision to sign with the Seattle Sounders despite a belief that it was Klinsman himself who pushed the forward towards Werder Bremen and that trial. Quote, I'm thrilled that Jordan decided to go pro. This is really, this is a, the really important decision. And I'm thrilled with the Sounders that he goes into an environment that he knows that he feels comfortable with and that he, uh, and that he feels now that at this specific point, this is the best move for me. Morris is expected to be announced as a Sounders signing today, uh, in Seattle. Also in the Jordan Morris, uh, area, word from Thomas Eichen, the, um, man in charge at Werder Bremen who has been quoted several times about Jordan Morris's talent, saying that he was homesick, which I think you can understand. Uh, we'll see how the American soccer community responds to that news. All right. Patrick Vieira was officially unveiled as the NYCFC head coach yesterday at a press conference at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Vieira said at his press conference, the last three weeks have been really good. I learned a lot, and the draft was quite interesting. I met with other coaches in the league, exchanging, talking about the positives and negatives about the league, and it's been a really long learning process for me, but it was really good. It is true that I may not have the best knowledge of the league, but I think that the game is still a game. You play football, and there's no difference in the way you play the game between Europe and the U.S. It's still 11 against 11, 
And the objective objective is to score goals and not concede a goal. So there's not a big change. I wish I had a better French accent. I'm not going to try it. The website Football Leaks, which if you're not aware of this, this is a website that's attempting to replicate for football what WikiLeaks did for government oversight. Uh, the, the site has posted numerous documents that it shouldn't have. The latest or one of the latest of, uh, of those documents is Gareth Bale's, the agreement between Real Madrid and Tottenham on Gareth Bale's 2013 transfer from Spurs to Real Madrid. The total value, as indicated by that document of Bale's transfer, €100,759,418, which is well above what Real Madrid said the price was, but roughly in the, in the area that was reported at the time. Of course, that is a world record. Bale's agent, Jonathan Barnett, has called for an inquiry into the leak, calling it, quote-unquote, outrageous, uh, saying that this is unfair to both the players and the club. And this comes amidst reports that a British journalist was asked not to not to write Gareth Bale's transfer fee in a story because it apparently makes Cristiano Ronaldo upset to know that there's a more expensive player at Real Madrid than himself, which is ridiculous. I just read a GQ profile of Cristiano Ronaldo that was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever read in my life, so I can understand uh, that, uh, you know, it's certainly understandable that uh, that Cristiano Ronaldo would act like a baby because I've seen, yeah. Anyway, the Vancouver Whitecaps have completed the signing of Costa Rican winger Christian Bolaños. The 31-year-old joins from Saprissa, where he spent last season after returning from Costa Rica uh, to Costa Rica from Qatar. He had spent uh, he had started his career at at, uh, at Saprissa. He's 31 years old, as I said. He's got 60 caps for Costa Rica. He played in both the 2006 and 2014 World Cups uh, for the Ticos. A, a solid player, certainly a, uh, um, a strong signing from the Whitecaps, brings uh, a lot of uh, experience there on the wing for what is a very young team otherwise up there in uh, British Columbia. All right, uh, Chelsea defender. I'm going to try this. Papi Giloboji. Giloboji has joined Werder Bremen on loan after making a one appearance for Chelsea five months after joining the club for two, 2.7 million pounds from Nantes this, uh, this summer. Uh, yeah, not much time there for Pappy at, uh, at Chelsea. So he moves on and joins Werder Bremen on loan. Again, Werder Bremen, obviously Americans are very aware of where they are in the Bundesliga because of Jordan Morris going on trial there. They are in the, they're very much in a relegation fight. I don't, are they in the relegation zone at the moment or not? It doesn't really matter. They're down there at the bottom of the Bundesliga. They're getting ready to, to restart that league. They need reinforcements there. Uh, I believe that they had a, an injury or two that have uh, forced out their, their usual starters. And so they bring in this player on loan from Chelsea, and uh, we'll see exactly what kind of impact he can make there for the German side. All right, there you go. There's the news. Uh, we will talk to Jeff Kasu from Equalizer Soccer and NBC Sports about the saga of Mallory Pugh and the NWSL, how they respond to this news that perhaps she's changed course after originally looking like she would sign with the league as a 17-year-old high school player. All right, stay right there. Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you got any comments, concerns, questions, make sure you hit us up on Twitter, at Soccer Morning, and we will open up the phone lines after we talk to Jeff. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we're back on Soccer Morning here on a Thursday. Joined now on the telephone by good friend of the show, Jeff Kasuf, who you can find at Jeff Kasuf on Twitter, EqualizerSoccer.com. Uh, Jeff, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming on. So we, the, this is an attempt here to try to determine exactly what the heck is going on with Mallory Pugh, the, the, the you know uh, uh, obviously one of the best young soccer players in the country, out of uh, still a high school player, getting looks from the U.S. Women's National Team. 
Uh, I was there in um, in Baltimore this past Friday while the NWSL draft was going on. I, I'm talking to people who cover the women's game. Unfortunately, not you, but but a lot of the other people. And and, and the word was Mallory Pugh, as reported by Charlie Bohm and JT Yardley, was going to turn pro, sign with the league, <laughs> go to uh, Portland per some new fangled uh, allocation process. Uh, and, and everything was going to be, you know, she's obviously a phenomenal young player. Maybe there's some pressure. Maybe it's unique, but we've seen this story before. What happened? Because now I'm not so sure the Denver Post has a story says she's not going. Yeah, I mean, that's the question. Uh, I mean, everybody, you know, and beyond just media here, I mean, um, people around the league were, were shocked to see these comments from Mallory Pugh's father. So, um, Still trying to figure out exactly what happened, but something changed in the past week or or even less, um, even past few days here. Um, you know, the the word was that she was going. This was all said. It was put to me by one source that it was you know a done deal that this was going to happen last week, and that's why we saw what we saw on Friday, and and you know why that was worked out in those days prior that uh, Portland was going to trade up, and and this was all sort of based around the fact that. Pew was coming into the league, and and obviously, um, you know, as Charlie reported, that her family wanted her in Portland, and, and that's why all these things happened. So, um, for her father to come out uh, Wednesday night here and say actually she's going to UCLA, um, he said in, the, in that Denver Post report that they never talked to Portland. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know whether that is true or not. I do know that you know she would have been coming in as a as a subsidized U.S. player, so right. her entire contract would have been dealt with through U.S. soccer. So um, th- there's a lot of stuff that's still a bit unclear here, but something changed in the past few days. Here's the quote from Horace Pugh, Mallory's father, uh, to the Denver Post. We did look at her possibly going pro. It's all over the Internet. She's going to play professionally. It was very close to happening. But her gut feeling was that she wanted to go to college. So uh, she, she obviously has the opportunity to go to UCLA. That, that apparently is, is what's going to happen now, at least according to Horace Pugh. Um, how, mm-hmm. how bad does NWSL look here? I mean, whether or not they issued any statements, and, and honestly I don't know if they did, Jeff, clearly some of the most prominent soccer reporters covering the league put this out there into the world, and now, wait, we're going we're to have to pull it all back? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it's, you know, it has impacts on us too, right? Um, I mean, there's, they haven't informally acknowledged it. Um, they never, never did, uh, no statements, no, you know, no anything, but, um, it was well known, you know, beyond, you know, whether you're talking league, team, um, everything. I mean, I had people, you know, unrelated to the league or Portland last night who, who were, you know, I was texting with, and they were, they were as shocked as everybody else because this was, um, pretty much assumed as a done deal. I guess, you know, to, to sort of try to compare it, I mean, um, this is a lot more high profile than, than, and she's a lot more high profile, Mallory Pugh, than a lot of other players. But if you look at, you know, I would sort of compare it to, um, you know, a player verbally commits to a school maybe very early, maybe in their junior year or so, and, and they, you know, they might have second thoughts and they might change their mind. Uh, I don't know that that's directly comparable, but these things do happen in terms of a school-to-school level. This is just obviously a, a groundbreaking situation that would have been, would be, um, in that, you know, Lindsay Horan, the only one, the only American woman to ever skip college to go directly to the pros, and she went to PSG, so no player, and no U.S. player has ever done that to go straight to this league. Um, this would have been a huge, groundbreaking, perhaps pioneering move. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, this changed or this appears to have changed is, um, you know, a, a big deal. And, and yeah, I mean, I think the NWSL, I don't know if they look bad per se, uh, but I think they're probably scratching their heads a bit behind the scenes. Yeah, well, look, uh, growing pains for everybody, clearly. Um, I, I, I guess it's the, I, I guess for, for me, what is what sticks out here is the reporting about the, the new mechanism. Um, you know, I talked to Meg Linehan uh, this week about about the news that that Pew was going pro and that the league had created this thing, and she and I sort of laughed about how NWSL was one on, one upping MLS on the convoluted rules, and maybe they can pull back from that <laughs> and, and and avoid that that murkiness. But for the time being, there is a question certainly about how NWSL starts to structure things in order to get the best talent in the league at the right time. Mallory Pugh's free to make whatever decision she wants to make. 
But I guess right. I, I guess sort of like dipping into the waters, and then again the league sort of going through some sort of process to create a mechanism that makes sense for for her to join the team she wants to join. Because very much like MLS, Jeff, and you give me your opinion on this. I understand why mm-hmm. NWSL needs to be flexible. To if Mallory P wants to play, and she says, uh, "I'll only play for Portland," then you make it so she goes to Portland. I mean, how else do you do it as a fledging league? Yeah, no, but I would argue, though, I don't think that, I think that rule, that the timing of the announcement of that rule and the announcement of the report and of Mallory Pugh coming um, were so close that they, they are directly tied. And But I would argue, though, that that rule wasn't made for Mallory Pugh. Okay. That trade was made for Mallory Pugh, for sure. Portland made that trade for Mallory Pugh. So that's where these things sort of start to connect and the timing looks weird. But, but that process you look at, and that goes back to really what we've seen all off season. where, um, you know, if you look at what's happened this offseason, Orlando's got a lot of what they want, Portland got a lot of what they want, and there's been a bit of an outcry of how do you balance this, how do you check it, and that's a lot of what that rule is. And, and that was, you know, if this Pew thing is unattached, you're, gonna, you're looking at Boston, you know, a smaller club, quote-unquote, sitting atop that ranking list, and they would have had first crack at whoever's coming in. Um, obviously, you know, in the Pew situation here, um, per Charlie's report that she wanted to play in Portland, and that's why that trade happened. But um, the rule itself is a bigger picture. It just happened to be poorly timed in that it looked like it was a rule made for Mallory Pew, which it wasn't. I mean, it's a rule that it's, it's going to be a lot like, you know, as you said, some of the convoluted MLS stuff where new player entering the league or re-entering the league um, you know that's what it's going to affect for the years to come. Yeah, yeah, of course. And like you said, maybe maybe it's it's coincidental to- or not coincidental, but maybe the timing is unfortunate from a league perspective. Okay, so um, you know, let's let's take this in parts. I, I guess we'll start with with Mallory Pugh. What you know about her? I mean, again, a high school player gotten called into the national team uh, to, to to take part in camps. Clearly, incredibly talented. Gatorade Player of the Year in her state, National Player of the Year. There's a and, and UCLA is going to get a great talent. Is this? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say is it best for her because none of us know. But is there right. is there clearly a good path for her to UCLA and then beyond into uh, the women's national team and and obviously into NWSL? Yeah, I mean, look, she's she's in the senior camp right now. For all we know, um, you know, we'll probably find out in the next 24 hours if she's on the roster for Saturday. She could get her first senior cap Saturday. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's. The little bit I know is that it's been going well for her in camp, but I mean, I spoke to, to one coach who, you know, whose opinion I trust and, and, you know, the word was that she is very good and she'll probably be, you know, I don't think we're talking about her for the Olympics, obviously here, but I think that you look at this next cycle and she could be in the mix a lot sooner than maybe we think a, a 17 year old could be in the mix. I mean, I do think that my opinion, there's some challenges in terms of, um, you know, size is not necessarily a thing in soccer, but, you know, she's a smaller yeah. player. I think there could be some adapt, you know, some need for adaptation there in the pro level and in the international level of just, especially the NWSL is known for a bit of its physicality. Um, but, you know, if she's going there, she'll have four years to, if she's going to UCLA, she'll have four years to figure that out in college and sort of adjust to that. I think by then that shouldn't be a problem. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think both of these, you know, whether it was UCLA or NWSL, I think both of these would have worked out well for her. Um, she clearly has a future on the national team. Um, and, you know, I think that the day is coming, sort of a tangential point here, that um, that these high school players who have talent, and you look at Canada's roster right now with all these high schoolers potentially going into their World Cup qualifying roster, the day is coming at some point here, and it's happening in Europe to some extent already, but that where North American, U.S., Canadian players will see the opportunity, the money grows a little bit maybe, the opportunity grows a little bit, and, and maybe college isn't the only option. It will still be for a select few, and it might be, you know, I thought it was four or five years down the line. The fact that this almost happened is pretty shocking to me from a timeline perspective, but um, I think that that could happen soon, and I don't think that's a bad thing for select players for the right players who can make the jump well it's a, it's a matter of i mean uh, you know on the men's side we always talk about the academy system that's clearly not a, a functioning part of the women's game at least not in the united states Co- college has always filled that role and again i just talked to, to meg linehan and we went through the fact that the the, the nwsl draft is going to remain 
the the centerpiece of putting new talent into the league. But if there are select players who, for them, not playing college soccer makes sense, how do we make sure that they develop properly? Well, I think you look at the reports too um, of you know U.S. Soccer looking into a development academy for the girls' side. Um, that's going to be you know that's a longer term project, obviously, but. The ECNL already existing, I think, is, is a huge one, and, and how that works out with um, apparently uh, this academy would not be, you know, would not just ingest the ECNL, it would be almost competing, which is, is kind of surprising because the ECNL has been um, a big development source, a resource for the women's game, and, and has been, uh, we're just starting to see some of the ECNL players be on the national team, be in this pro league. So, um, you know, I think that that is, the answer long term, it's just a matter of getting there. But, I, you know, I think um, ECNL probably has been overlooked a bit. I mean, I think in, in some regards it, it has been the female answer to, to the U.S. Soccer Boys Academy system. So um, whether or not they announce this soon of, of them starting a girls academy, um, you know, that'll be a large part of that answer. But mm. Um, I think that that's the answer on the girls' side as well. It's just farther out in development. But college is still a big deal. Yeah. Um, I think the, the conversation of sort of how do you reform some of the college game to make it better is obviously a whole other right. large conversation yeah. that they're having on the men's side too, which I, I think I support some of those some of those initiatives. But um, you know, college for now is that is that resource. But I think the academies are are coming. There are teams with academies. It's just not. A necessarily centralized function yet, but oh, I, and again, the, the 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 college game's importance is is more about uh, well, I mean, we can go all the way back into the the, not, the you know the early days of Title Nine and, and and the things like that that that, that dictated where the, the the college soccer world went, especially on the women's side, Jeff. But 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 as I guess as the the women's game matures, I, I'm I'm just curious how these things, how you envision, and you said you, you you saw four or five years maybe before these things started happening regularly. How you envision an integration of, you know, more traditional soccer development programs alongside the the college game. And again, the men's side they're struggling with this in this country, but in the women's game it's it's even a bigger deal because not only is most of America's talent coming out of the college game. I think a lot of the world's talent is coming out of the college game in this country. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of internationals that are very good that, you know, I think you look to Florida State as a place where uh, year in, year out, they have four or five very good internationals, and, um, you know, a few of them end up staying here, I think, on a you know a regular basis, um, more of them going to Europe. Um, Dagny Brinia's daughter just coming back from Europe after being at Florida State a couple of years ago. Um, but I really do think that the academies, um, you know, again, if, if U.S. soccer is going to centralize this, this should speed up the process. But, um, you know, you look at a Boston, for example, um, where, where there's a youth system in place to be a pyramid. Um, and there are a couple other examples around. There are teams, there are NWSL teams with reserve systems. Um, I mean, I think you even look a little bit more informally. You look at a draft like Chicago's where um, the Red Stars basically bought up half of the final round of picks um, with just sort of fourth round trades that we're all going to overlook, but they're all, they use them on basically a bunch of local players. And, and that's sort of how they keep talent in house. They use them as a reserve team in WPSL and then um, they develop them into potentially into pros. So I think it's a longer process, but I do think the Academy is going to be the answer. It's just a matter of you look at where NWSL is and you look at where, MLS and, you know, sort of the men's game in general in this country is and, and where the, the academies are there. And um, it's just a matter of time. I mean, it's it's 20 years versus three years at this point, and, and there's so many other things that they have to deal with on the women's side that um, maybe that's not number one from a team perspective or from a league perspective, but I think that it's pretty clear that it's gone higher on the list for U.S. soccer. We've seen that over the past couple of years with these initiatives that they put into place where um, they had almost a soft launching of a, um, you know, an academy of sorts where they, they were going to bring in the best uh, youth players. To, I think it's U15, U16 was the age into sort of a national training camp of sorts. Um, and then these other initiatives that they've had on the youth side that they're aware that, you know, no longer are they just 
the best, and that's the end of the conversation. They're aware that the development around the world is catching up to them, and, and they're trying to react to that. So I think that that's the answer. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take to initiate it. Yeah, I, I guess that's sort of, you know, my, my thought is that the rest of the world, because there's not a reliance, scholastic sports aren't really uh, culturally important in the same way they are here, that the the American system is going to continue to rely on the college game and, you know, sort of, uh, I'm not going to say rest on their laurels with it, but certainly it, it, there, it's, it's, a, it's a safety blanket, Jeff, whereas maybe the French, mm-hmm. the French and the Germans and the English are saying, well, we have to start doing things here ourselves, and maybe that puts the United States behind a bit. Yeah, and I mean, look, you know, the best players in those countries that you just mentioned, I mean, you know, they're 18, it's, you know, similar to the men's game, less money, whatever you may have, but um, they get to that age and they're going into, you know, a pro environment, whether they're on a first team right away or whether they're training with them or, you know, they're on the reserve squad, whatever. Um, I, you know, I think that it, it does fold into the conversation of, look, I mean, and, and I can speak to it. I mean, I didn't play at a D1 level or pro level, but I mean, playing college soccer, look, you get your August to October. If you're lucky, you're in the November. If you're extremely lucky, you're in the December. And, and that's it. I mean, you're talking about four months. The, the spring season is, is not much. The, you know, the, the summer is, um, you have your WPSL or your W League, which um, are, are a wide variety of levels, a huge range of levels. W League's obviously gone now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just not enough development at that critical age. So um, these players in these other countries, yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm 18 and I'm, you know, one of the best youth players, I'm not only in the youth national team, but I'm I'm in some kind of a, a club setup where it's a professional environment. And look, some of these college setups are, are superior to some of the pro setups. I mean, in terms of what they have and resources they have and talent, uh, but there are timing restrictions and rules that, that hold things back. So um, I think that, you know, the college game is, is still a viable option for many. I mean, you still, you look at this Pew situation, um, don't overlook that one of her teammates at UCLA in the coming years would be Jess Fleming from Canada, who, you know, I think is a prime candidate for somebody who could turn pro right now. She holds her own on the international level at, at 17. But, um, you know, the, there's talent there. But I think that the, the goal is going to need to be that there will be options where, you know, there is an option that somebody could go pro from an academy, uh, you know, in a proper club setup where they yeah. can develop just as well as they might in college. All right, so let's turn to the Thorns to, uh, specifically and and ask where this leaves them. Um, I, I there there was a, I saw Jamie Goldberg of the Oregonian tweet that Merritt Paulson had said something. I didn't catch it directly from him. Uh, that something about this being 180 degrees or something being 180 degrees from what they've been told. I don't know if Merritt was specifically re- uh, talking about Mar- Mallory Pugh or something unrelated, but if we connect some dots, it, it leads us to that issue where maybe the Thorns are caught um, completely surprised by this. No matter what Horace Pugh says about talking to the Thorns, if they had been told that this was happening, if they had word on word that Mallory Pugh was looking to join the league and go to the Thorns and they trade out into that top allegation spot, where does that leave them? Right, and that's you know that's where the disconnect is. I mean, I think that um, even if that's the case, like I said, I mean, he would have, or they would have spoken with U.S. Soccer and you know some related entities. But I mean, for for Portland, look, I mean, the the direct impact, the immediate impact is one, obviously not getting to you, and two, I think um, if you look at this, if you're Portland, you you just lost out on a player who could would have impact um, right away potentially, or, or you know, soon, because they gave up the number three draft pick. They were originally number two, traded down, and really, you look at this, um, if you, you know, I don't have any indication that they would have drafted Raquel Rodriguez, the Matt Kerman Trophy winner out of Penn State in Costa Rica, but they had the number two pick. Sky Blue was after her. They traded down the three, swapping with Sky Blue, so Sky Blue takes her at two. Part of that trading down, surely, was, you know, we don't need Rodriguez because we can go to three and make this trade with Boston to get Pew, um, you know, maybe they never make that two trade even if, if they don't know and they're getting Rodriguez or they're getting some kind of a talented player at the two or three spot, obviously, that, that can make an immediate impact. So they miss out on that for, you know, this season, I would say. But the, the positive for them, I guess, 
if you want to look at it, and it, it's a bit of an uncertainty, and that's why maybe they don't necessarily view it as a positive, is they're still atop this allocation ranking. So what this allocation ranking is, is any new player coming into the league as, as an allocated player, whether that's U.S. or otherwise, um, or any player dropping off of allocation, um, essentially uh, the Federation no longer decides to pay them, um, they would get first dibs at them. So, you know, who that would be next, I don't know. It, it, and to be clear, it can't be someone who's already on a team. There are candidates for potential allocation that are already on roster. So it wouldn't be that situation, but it would have to be, you know, could it potentially be the next wave of college players? Maybe they have to wait a year. You know, that, that could be the case. I mean, they have the opportunity to say, we'll pass on, you know, the next person up, whoever that is. So they could wait this out till, you know, maybe next draft where, you know, is that is that the next talented U.S. player that's up and coming? Um, you know, that's where they kind of sit. So they're not. It's not as if they're going to get nothing out of this, but it is a case where maybe they thought they were immediately getting something, and maybe they're getting something a year down the line. You know, I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, I referenced that tweet from Merritt Pulse, and again, it was not uh, Mallory Pugh was not directly referenced in the tweet. Uh, apparently, he deleted it, and, <laughs> and now Jamie Goldberg. <laughs> Jimmy Goldberg's had to go back and say, hey, if it wasn't about her, what was it about? Everything you tweet is newsworthy. I don't think she included it in the story, but I think she did reference it on her own Twitter account. Merritt, stop doing that thing where you tweet and then delete. It's gotta, it's gotta stop. <laughs> Just <laughs> out of control. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna connect those dots. All right, Jeff. So, uh, you know, again, an eventful, a dreadful draft day in Baltimore, not just because of uh, of the situation with Mallory Pugh, but in but in general, um, you know, as this league goes on and and breaks down, you know, breaks through some um, some some barriers that have previously been a problem for other leagues. Where do we? Where, where are we in 2016 headed in to a new season? Well, I mean, look, I think the not to beat this home too much, but we're going into a fourth season, which is is uncharted territory for a U.S. women's pro league. Um, I, I think, you know, Jeff Plush addressed this when we were talking to him after the draft of, you know, even six months ago, everybody wanted to talk about will there be a fourth season and how great it would be. And now they finally sort of turned that corner that, yes, obviously, you know, quite obviously we're going into a fourth season and, you know, this is real and this is, um, you know, it is a corner turn because it, it hasn't happened before in, with WPS or with WSA. So um, I, I think that you know, I've said this before and been proven wrong in previous leagues, but I think that for sure, you know, nothing is rosy and great, but things are looking up uh, more than they ever have in terms of a league setup and league structure. You have, obviously, Orlando coming in. You have other MLS teams, some of them public, if you look at Real Salt Lake, that, that have been public about potentially wanting to join in the future. I think that if things go right, and, you know, who knows if they do and who knows how long it takes, I think we could actually see two more teams added for 2017 because I know that they want to do this um, in sets of two to keep the numbers even. And, you know, you obviously have your question of talent pool there. And, and that's one of the bigger things that will be an issue going forward here is you already have sort of stretched rosters in terms of who you can get with what money you have, um, in terms of the talent pool, and in terms of it's a 20-person roster in these major years of World Cups and Olympics where – you know, you're calling on amateur players now because you don't even have enough players to, to compensate for these absences. So um, I think that, you know, some of the big issues that will be addressed are going to be very much player-related of player compensation. Does that rise? Does the cap go up? I think it will go up this year again as it has in the past. Whether that's a big jump, you know, probably not. Um, player, you know, team roster size, which obviously isn't going to change for 2016, but for 2017 is probably a major talking point. And then the season, too, I mean, there are all these discussions of um, this, this allocation rule that we talked about is worded very vaguely. This isn't, you know, it's, it's not just meant for U.S. players. It's meant potentially for any country mm -hmm. that could become allocated. And, and I'm sort of drawing between the lines here. But if you look at how it's worded, it, it could potentially set up for anybody. And, and Australia is one that's been talked about a lot because of the relationships here. But any country coming and say, we like your league. We have a player who needs to develop, but we have three players who need to develop. We'll pay for her, put her into your system, and she's going to play there, and we'll pay for her. And that's, that seems to be where that is going, um, which could be a very interesting thing to monitor. And, and again, especially with Australia, with 
Um, for those not aware, basically, a lot of these NWSL players, season's not long enough, the pay is not quite enough. They play April to September, October in NWSL, and then they play October to January down in Australia. They get about a month off, and they go back in the preseason, and it works out perfectly in terms of timing, mm-hmm. with a little bit extra pay. I think that something to look out for is formalizing particularly that relationship, whether that's uh, a formal relationship of partner clubs or whether that's Australia getting into the allocated game. And I think that that could happen with other countries down the line and maybe even sooner than we think. So um, a lot of player-related stuff as they get on you know, with some of the business-related aspects here. Jeff Kasuf from Equalizer Soccer, EqualizerSoccer.com. Uh, go over there for all your... Uh, women's soccer, professional soccer information uh, from top to bottom, including uh, the report on Mallory Pugh and the sudden, uh, well, what we believe to be a change of heart, although it may not have actually <laughs> ever been that. Uh, Jeff, appreciate the time as always. Thank you very much, and, um, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon as the season gets closer. Yeah, thank you for having me. There goes Jeff Kasuf. Good stuff from him. As always, follow him on Twitter as well, Jeff Kasuf. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll open the phone lines. Talk to you on a Thursday. There's a lot to go over. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning. It is Thursday, January 21st, 2016. Hopefully you're somewhere where the weather is nice, balmy, comfortable, sunny perhaps. Thank you very much to uh, to Garrett, who just wants to make me feel bad and is uh, sending me uh, word that is it is 57 degrees and sunny in Melbourne, Florida right now. Thank you, Garrett. I appreciate it. Thank you for making me feel uh, horrible about my life choices. I, I, I mean, you know, thanks, I guess. Phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. Speaking of life choices, this is my conundrum last night. So Wednesday is the, the one day I don't have a whole lot of professional obligations after the show is done. So at 1 p.m. Eastern, my work day is pretty much over. That's not always the case. Sometimes I have emails. Sometimes I write. Whatever. Wednesday is like a dead spot. And it's good because, you know, weekends, got to keep track of the games going on. So it's sort of working. So Wednesday's the day I get, like, house stuff done. Like, I'm, I did laundry yesterday. Uh, I cleaned my house a little bit yesterday. Uh, you know, making sure my kid's up on his homework, stuff like that. Now, I get my kid to bed last night at 8 o'clock because I'm a responsible father. And, and I sit down and I'm like, okay, well, do I want, do I want to watch something on television? I haven't, I don't, sometimes I, I just leave the TV off. It's not like any conscious decision. It's just I don't feel like turning it on and looking for something. It's sort of ultimate laziness, not even looking for something on television. But I go, okay, fine. I'll, I'll look. And in fact, I came across a blog post that convinced me to give a shot to, Jessica Jones, which is on Netflix, which I had heard about but didn't know a lot about. I'm not a, I'm not, not a super, I'm not into superheroes that much. I mean, I've seen some movies. I've watched Daredevil. I, I, if it's good television, I don't care, but it's not like I'm a comic book guy. So I don't know who she is. Okay. I have no concept of who Jessica Jones is before I turn on this show. So I turn on the show again, recommendation, various blog posts, whatever. First, I recognize the lead actress. Because she was on a show that I that I might be the only person in the world who liked it, called um, "Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23" or B, "Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 20." Whatever I don't know what it's called. It had um, it had uh, Dawson on it. What was what's his name? <laughs> you know you know who I'm talking about. James Vanderbeek. He was like in the show playing himself. I thought it was funny. Didn't last very long. Anyway, it's the same actress. So right there, I'm like, oh, I kind of like her. I, I like her acting style. Like her attitude. If if this character is meant to be dark and brooding, she kind of brings that vibe. So I'm in. Watch the whole first episode. Looks great. I'm all in on Jessica Jones now. I, I'm ready to go. So I'm sitting there having watched the entire episode, and I'm texting with my girlfriend, and I go, "We should watch. you should watch this show. It's really good. 
Like, hey, watch Jessica Jones. And then I realized that if I keep watching on my own, then she's going to be mad at me because I'm watching. Because this is how relationships work now, the modern age of of digital on-demand television. You have to watch together. It's like a thing. It's like comedy routines are always built around this now. Oh, I got ahead on Game of Thrones, and now I'm in trouble. So I put it out there. Should I should I watch ahead because it's a good show and I have nothing else going on on a, on a on a Wednesday night, or should I stop and make the effort and and watch with her, assuming she'll like it? I mean, here's the here's the risk. Maybe she doesn't like it. Maybe she doesn't like it, and I've wasted the opportunity to enjoy the show myself. I'm I'm I I want to know how people handle this situation. Let's go to uh, Ray in Milwaukee. Ray, what's going on, my friend? Hey, uh, what's up? Uh, I'd just like to talk a little about uh, Jordan Morris's signing. Uh, and in my personal opinion, I don't really care where uh, any player plays, and it's totally up to the player. And I get that, but the first thing I would just like to say is that I, I think if you look at this from a regional perspective, you look at uh, the top tier team players from the Americas, they generally leave to Europe at the age that Morris is now. Um, not even younger. Right. Well you have to you'd have to do some empirical data collection in order to, to, to convince me that's absolutely true. But look, there are players who jump overseas. You know, there are Mexican players who jump overseas at twenty two or twenty three. How old was Tecatito? He's still pretty young, right? Take a Tito Corona. Right. Yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, anecdotally, they're definitely. Chicharito left around 23, 24. Okay. That's, that's, that's a couple years from now for Jordan Morris. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I think there's a, uh, Costa Rican kid who just joined Porto. So yeah, I mean, it's coming. Yeah. You're right. For the most part, you're right. Right. And, uh, but, but if I was Jordan Morris, uh, I personally would write into my contract that if a Champions League team comes in for about $4 million, that you have the first, first right of approval of champions uh, uh, for your player rights. Uh, I think that nobody wants to see a Taylor Twelman type of incident when he outperforms his... I mean, if he's going to be as good as people say he's going to be, and I think he is going to be very good and very talented... You don't want to see him held back by this league because uh, of uh, they're going to hold a ransom for a uh, transfer fee. So you're you're suggesting that that somehow Jordan Moore structure a contract with MLS that allows him to to choose to go without MLS interference? Is that what you're saying? Well, the first right of acceptance, and for something to over four million dollars, you know that a team uh, a number. You know that uh, him and his uh, if if he really uh, wants to play in Champions League football, if he really wants, because yeah. in my personal opinion, if this kid's as talented as we say he is, he's going to outperform this contract anyways. Because the salary structure for MLS is peanuts. No, this is true. Um, you know, I I don't know, and, and certainly I don't think MLS. I, <clears throat> I mean, it's an interesting thing you propose because what you're saying is you're you're suggesting that Jordan Morris have more control than most MLS players ever would over their over their future. Well, yeah, well, and I don't Jason, know. Do you, do you want to see another Taylor Twelman type of situation? No, no, no. no. Look, I, I think that if the opportunity presents itself and Jordan Morris wants to go, the league should sell him. But it's obviously got to meet the league's valuation. I mean. I, from a business perspective, from a from a mark, global player market perspective, MLS can't get screwed just because Jordan Morris has talent and 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 should be playing in Europe at some point. I mean, that that that's if he signs a contract with MLS, he signed a contract with MLS. If a team comes in for him and makes an offer, it's up to MLS, the Sounders, hopefully mostly, to decide whether or not that's the right value for Jordan Morris and agree to sell him. He otherwise he waits out his contract and he goes signs for a free. Uh, all right, I, I look at player differently. I guess uh, uh, I'm a new age approach person. I, I could care less. Uh, uh, 
I just feel that he he's, there's a strong possibility this dude can over get uh over outplay his contract. And uh, well, sure, but that's going but to match fair Ray, market value. But Ray, uh, but Ray, but Ray, but Ray, 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 that is up. Th- that is it's incumbent. There are two parties involved here in any contract negotiation. There are the there's the 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 management, the club itself, the league, if you want to put it on the league, and then the player. And the player has to both sides have to determine what they want out of this situation, what they're willing to to deal with, what they're willing to give up, whether it's money, re- control, whatever. If Jordan Morris is in a bad contract situation, that's his. That's that's ultimately on him. I'm not saying he should get screwed, and I think at some point. MLS owes it to young players to do what's right by them. But come on, let's let's not let's not act like Jordan Morris doesn't have something to say about his contract. If he doesn't like it, he can go sign somewhere else and go sign a Werder Bremen. If he doesn't like it, he doesn't have to sign the contract. He, he's not being forced into agreeing to MLS terms. He's agreeing to MLS terms because he wants to. Now, I I, I know some players don't have the same options of, as Jordan Morris, and those players maybe are locked in a little bit more. But I think for the most part, let's, let's remember that this is two, there are two sides to this. It's a negotiation. If you're, if Jordan Morris doesn't like what MLS is giving him, he can say no, right? He can say no. He can go sign right, in Mexico. Right. It, it, uh, I don't understand why this situation uh, that people are throwing Jurgen Klinsman under the bus. Uh, this, uh, you know, if this league was as talented of, as a developmental league as certain redheads want us to believe, where is the next Landon Donovan? Where is next Cloudy Rainer? Where is next Ernie Stewart? Uh, uh, you've had 20 years to develop the next Brian McBride. Yeah, I don't you know, know. Uh, I don't know, Ray. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult question. Thanks, thanks for the call, man. I, I missed Washington. How did I miss Washington? Where, where did you go? 646-832-3909. I get in because... Okay, not only do we have this Jordan Morris thing, which is now you know a done deal. He's set to be announced by the Sounders today. And good, look, good for him if that's what he wants. I mean, let let's and and I think that sometimes we get lost in a, in the conversation, in a discussion, in a debate because there's always certain things that are givens that we sort of have to step to set aside while we discuss everything else that's involved. And the given is that it's Jordan Morris's right to play wherever he wants to play. With whoever wants to give him a contract. I mean, if Jordan Morris, and, and this is what's being thrown around now, and I really, really hope the American soccer public is smarter than to start castigating Jordan Morris for being quote unquote homesick. I really hope we're smarter than that these days. I hope this, this isn't Landon Donovan 2.0. Okay. Now, Donovan went, stayed there, was at Leverkusen for some time. He wasn't on trial and then got an offer and came home and said no. That that is a different situation. Uh, but when Thomas Eichen comes out and says that Jordan Morris was homesick, I think it's pretty easy to imagine there's going to be a segment of the American soccer fan base who says, "Oh, he couldn't hack it in Europe. Oh, what a baby. Oh, didn't didn't have you know didn't have the mental strength to go to Europe and and and, and deal with the. Maybe that's true." Maybe it's not. The, the fact is you don't know. And it doesn't make necessarily mean that Jordan Morris isn't going to be the player he could become. I mean, I, 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 if, if we're going to agree that Jordan Morris has the right to sign up wherever he wants, then we should also agree that any notion that he was quote-unquote homesick, said by a third party, not said by Jordan Morris, but said by somebody else who's trying to uh, appreciate Jordan Morris' situation, is, is, not, is not necessarily... Something we should hang on. Something we should get wrapped up in. 646-832-3909. Did Javier Mascherano just get sentenced to jail? For like a year? I saw something on Twitter, and there's a debate going on in the Soccer Mornings mentions about appeals. But it seems as though, at least for the time being, Javier Mascherano was given a year for tax evasion now as trevor says he probably won't serve any time it'll probably be a matter of appealing it down or or, or negotiating it down to a, a major fine and and maybe i don't know probation applies in the situation excuse me in the situation um but it does seem that at least for the time being something bad's going on with javier mascherano and, and this is interesting because javier mascherano is just one of numerous footballers who have been pulled why are we missing a bunch of calls? We're being pulled into 
tax evasion cases in Spain. I imagine, I don't know if that Mascherano situation is exactly the same, but there's definitely um, a trend where these players are selling their rights outside the country or having their rights managed outside of the country in addition, in, a, in, a, in a, an effort to dodge Spanish taxes. So essentially they're farming out the image rights to somebody who's operating outside of Spain. That company is collecting the money, which then goes to the player sort of around the, the Spanish tax authorities, which is why we're seeing these guys um, given... Uh, or why, why are we seeing these guys charged with tax evasion? Eddie in Brooklyn, what's going on, my friend? Hey, what's up? I kind of I kind of feel for for those Jonah Morris fans who kind of wanted to see him in Europe because I'm kind of upset myself with, with <clears throat> excuse me with Mauro Matarica's decision to go to NYCFC. Oh, I yeah? thought that was a horrible move for him. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, a, a, a young player of 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 you know of talent choosing to go to. Uh, it's an MLS. To- it's an MLS team, or it's NYCFC. What specifically bothers? You? I mean, obviously you're a Red Bulls fan, Eddie. We got to throw that out there. But go ahead. Yeah, I just I thought his level was way above MLS because you look at it right now. Best to me, best left back in MLS is Waylon Francis, and there could be a case maybe for Christianity. But I think if you poll enough people, you'll get Waylon Francis as the answer. Ronald Matarita is already better than Waylon Francis, so basically he's walking in as the best left back in MLS, and he hasn't even played a game yet. Because that's that's how good this kid's potential is, and he was getting offers from I know from Belgium. He was getting offers from Spain. Maybe they weren't as tangible as we may have been led to believe. But for him to go to MLS when his prospects were clearly in Europe is is kind of disappointing. Well, let me, me. Like, let, let me ask you something. It's not even the NYCFC thing. He could have went to Vancouver, which is where apparently all Costa Ricans go now, <laughs> which, is, which is why they're becoming my favorite West Coast team. Yeah. But even if he would have went there, I would have been upset because I I kind of saw his level at at the European. Yeah, level. By the way, I hear, I hear Vancouver. Not only is Vancouver beautiful, I hear the food is legit in Vancouver, so I can kind of understand it. Um, as for <clears throat> Look, maybe it's um and 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 this would be really interesting, but maybe it's the maybe it's the CFG factor, maybe it's the the Manchester City factor. I I can imagine a young player, and of course he's got representation, he's got people advising him. But I can imagine a young player and maybe an agent being pulled along by the notion that you're making connections to someone like Manchester City, which could pay off down the line. It could have, but then. The way I looked at it is he's, he's going to start for the national team and he's been starting in the qualifiers. I remember when they played Panama in the rain and in the last qualifier, he was the man of the match for me. So he's, he's going to be with, with Oviedo's injury history. He's going to be our left back moving forward and he's only like 21. So this is, this is probably like a good 10, 13 year project with this kid. So he's going to get a lot of eyes on him at the Copa America. Even if he would have stayed in Alavalente for another season, another half a season, went to Copa America, yeah. balled out, I could have seen him easily getting even better offers than he would have at, at during the January transfer window. So, like, even even his summer would have had more prospects than just going. I thought he just went to NYCFC. Maybe it was a city football group thing, but I thought it was too much of a premature decision. I felt well, like he could have made a better okay, decision. Are, are the flip- Imagine, well, I'm, I'm nobody to tell anybody to do anything with a career, but I kind of feel like, Maybe just a little bit more patience. He could have put himself in a, in a better situation. Okay, well, I mean, and you got to wonder. I imagine he's the kind of left back, the kind of dynamic left back that's going to get up and down the field. How the hell is he going to do that at Yankee Stadium on that posted stamp? And the other thing that I that I think is interesting, maybe uh, to, to just to flip this over, give MLS credit or, or maybe NYCFC specifically credit for, con, for for convincing him to take a shot in playing in MLS at least for for a little while. And and if this if this is this is a this is a, a transfer. It, or is it a loan? No, it's it's a it's a transfer. Okay, so so it maybe NYCFC is set up to benefit when when the kid goes on and, and gets opportunity in Europe that that probably is going to come. Yeah, but then that doesn't help me. That's no, I understand. Me just as a Red Bulls fan. <laughs> but you know, I, I will say this: I, I will give MLS a lot of credit. Like I, I know a lot of people will complain that MLS should focus on becoming the go-to league for even just players in Central America and the Caribbean. And I feel like they have been doing so for the most part. I've yeah. seen a lot of Costa Rican talent all over the league to, to identify a guy like Wayman Francis from Mediano, which I know not a lot of people knew about, to identify him. And now you get a, a player like Matarito, who I'll go out and say it right now, this is the second best signing NYCFC has ever done next to David Villa. Second best wow. signing. Better than Frank Lampard, because Frank Lampard, we saw how relevant he was. And don't get me started on, on, on the whole Pirlo disaster that ended up being 
second best signing so far. So they are doing a better chance, a better, better job of identifying Central American talent. I just felt like this one was, it, it wasn't a big step enough for him. Kind of yeah. how I feel, yeah. how Jordan Moore's fans are feeling right yeah, now. Yeah, well, look, I mean, clearly, look, the, 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 there's the, there's from the player's perspective and what we imagine is the right way for those players to develop. And then there's, you know, what they have to deal with in terms of the reality. And again, without knowing all the details, it's true of every transfer or every move that doesn't make a lot of sense. Without knowing all the details, it's, it's hard to, to completely judge it. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, you're going to get an opportunity to see whether or not Patrick Vieira makes a difference in that team and whether, uh, you know, whether the, the player, the young players there benefit from, from his influence. I mean, he's, uh, we've, we've got, um, Pirlo out there talking, uh, or Via, not Pirlo, but Via out there talking up the young kids that they've got or the, the, the younger players because it's not like Poku's 21, but there's an opportunity for those guys to grow. And if Vieira believes in them, and maybe this is a youth movement thing, Eddie, then, then we're going to see these guys play. I, I mean, I, I just hope they don't ruin him because they can't defend to save their lives. So I don't want to feel like he has to, he has to take away part of his game just to go to compensate for their, their inefficiencies in the back. And, and all that, that alone may stop his development and, which is going to mess up my national team, which is going to make me hate NYCFC <laughs> even more. Which yeah, is well, even how is that point. possible? Yeah. Speaking of Eddie, thank you very much for the call. I'm going to go from you to Washington. So we're just going to bookmark the, or bookend this stuff with, uh, with NYCFC and the Red Bulls. I mean, at least in terms of fans, Eddie, I appreciate the call, man. There it goes, Eddie in Brooklyn. Let's uh, let's speak. Uh, let's speak to the aforementioned Washington. It's been a while. What's up, Wa- What's up, Washington? What's up, Jason? How's it going, man? It's going I, well. I, I love listening to Eddie talk. Man. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's he's great. Uh, no, I was calling. I'm I'm not, speaking of what he was talking about. I, I was happy when I found out that they they signed him. I've I've seen him play. I I think he's great. Um, I I I'm happy that we got a young kid. He's 21 years old. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. And uh, I think we have a future. Do I think that uh, City Football Group has something to do with it, meaning that his chances are going to England play? Of course it does. But do I care? No, I don't. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have him in the ranks. Yeah, that's right. I mean, from your perspective, I mean, I, I use every tool that's in the, in the box. I mean, there's no Absolutely. reason for NYCFC not to go to every, you know, every player agent in Central South America, whatever, anywhere, anywhere really, and say, hey, not only do we have Patrick Vieira in charge now, you know him, he played at Arsenal, we've got City Football Group backing us, we've got Manchester City connections, and you know what, there's an interesting story, um, there's a, a interesting story out of Australia that I don't know if you've heard about, Washington, have you heard about this? No, I haven't. Go ahead. All right, so uh, and let me. I'm going to try to pull this up here real quick. Um, there's so City Football Group's got the team in Australia, which I believe is the is Melbourne City, right? Melbourne, yeah. So oh. they have a uh, they have the team in in in, uh, in Melbourne. There's there was a, an Australian player that Melbourne City wanted to get. Okay, but just like in MLS, flat out transfers aren't allowed within the the A-League. I don't know what the mechanism for trading players is in the A-League, but I do know that uh, that you can't buy a player from another A-League team. So Melbourne wants this player, Anthony Caceres, I believe is his name. Uh, Caceres, no R, Caceres. So they, what happens is City Football Group comes in, buys him for Manchester City, ostensibly for Manchester City, then loans him out to, to Melbourne City. Mm-hmm. So now you've got City Football Group using their multiple club setup to essentially move a player from one A-League team to another, sort of, <laughs> not, I'm not going to say outside the rules, but certainly, sorry, i got some weird, uh, yeah. Feedback or something? Gold, no, it's Goal.com. Goal.com always messes with me like that. All right, so, so you've got them, and I need to dive in here. I was trying to read the story. I can't do it because of the, uh, the autoplay ads, but, but you get what I'm saying. I, and I oh, yeah, I got you. I don't know that there's a I don't know that there's a a chance for that sort of thing to happen in MLS because of the control MLS HQ uh, exerts over transfers and contracts. But it again, from an NYCFE fan perspective, it's got to kind of be like, huh? So that's how they're going to play this. I, I as long as we get talent I and mean, use whatever tool you got in the box, um, I I have faith in my team. I. I 
I'm happy we got this kid. I mean, he's 21 years old. His future's ahead of him. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited that we got this kid. Um, one of the reasons that I called, though, Jason, you had asked a question about, which made me laugh because me and my wife do this all the time, when you watch a, a show but then you feel like you got to wait to watch it with her because if you don't, yeah. whatever, you, yeah. they're going to get upset. Do what I do. Okay, don't, don't spill the secret, okay? You do what I do. You watch it alone anyway, and then since you can watch it on demand, you watch it again with her, and you yeah, just pretend no, like you didn't watch no, it the first no, time. No, 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 no. I can't do that, okay? I, I'm not... I'm not... <laughs> First of all, I'm not a good enough liar to say, no, I haven't seen this yet. What are you talking about? Not a lie, because I, you're not telling her that you watch it the first okay. time, and I'm sure she's not going to ask. She's but, just but like, hey, do you want to watch it? It's a lie. It's a lie of omit Washington. It's a lie of omission, okay? And <laughs> trust me, after having said, like, sitting there, like, watching the show and then texting her, hey, you should watch the show. It's really good. And I what's it about? Oh, she's a superhero, but she's a private investigator, but it's not really a superhero show. It's kind of great. And okay, let's, let's watch it together. If I continue to watch... I would get the question the next time I saw her or when we got into a position to watch the show together, she'd go, how many episodes have you watched, Jason? And I'd say... Uh, no, see, me and my wife is different. We live together, so we kind of just, you know, we don't no, have... No, that's that what I'm saying. Hey, remember, the, we got to watch... This is the we wrinkle. We do the same thing with that CBS show, Code Black. Okay. We, we always watch it together. That's obviously the wrinkle, Washington, is I don't live with her right now. So there's no... So I have alone time. She has alone time. If we wanted to, we could totally snake and watch the shows we're supposed to watch together. And this one we haven't even agreed to. That's what I'm saying, is I'm taking a risk that she's even going to like it. I may get to her house. I'm, I'm going to go see her tonight. I may get to her house tonight and, and flip it on and say, hey, you like this show? And she'll go, no, I don't like this show. And now I don't get to watch it, at least for a couple of days, because I'm with her. She's not going to watch it with me. What the hell am I supposed to do? It's, it's, it's a conundrum, Washington. Well, good luck with that, brother. Right, good I appreciate luck. I got to go, man. All right, Washington up in NYC. All right, I think... All right, 646-832-3909. I'll throw that out there. And in the meantime, while I wait to see if anybody else wants to jump in here on the Thursday show, let me go over this story out of, out of Australia with Anthony Caceres. Uh, the, the, okay, so Manchester City has loaned new signing Anthony Caceres to sister club Melbourne City for the rest of the current A-League season. Manuel Pellegrini's side signed, uh, signed the 23-year-old midfielder last week from Central Coast Mariners for an undisclosed fee. Caceres is not an international and was never going to challenge for a place in the Manchester City team, and the transfer has caused some consternation in Australia. I'm reading from The Guardian here. A-League clubs are not permitted to sign players for a fee from each other, but Caceres' move to Manchester City has allowed Melbourne to recruit one of the most sought-after players in the division. Sydney FC Chief Executive Tony Pinata has called for a review of the rules and tweeted, The loaning of Caceres to City is wrong. There are no transfers between A-League clubs yet it seems you can bypass. Now he went on to say that the that the that what city did is completely within the rules, but that the rules need to be changed. And again, from an MLS perspective with NYCFC in this league, I think what's interesting is whether or not City Football Group, Manchester City, Melbourne City, NYCFC this group and and the Japanese club which I don't think they own a full uh, controlling stake in, whether or not they could utilize this um this franchise system that they're that they're uh, that they own to do in runs around the MLS rules. Again, MLS very centralized. The control is there to imagine that they would sign off on something that flouts MLS rules. I find it very difficult to imagine that at the same time. And the A leagues in a slightly different position, but very much like MLS is trying to claw out um, a, a profitable existence in a difficult location, in a difficult sports environment. MLS needs to relax and let some things happen and let some teams get better through whatever mechanisms possible if they're not going to just jump ahead and let teams spend 10 million bucks a team or 20 million bucks to whatever it is. I mean, if MLS is not there from a salary perspective, and by the way, I'm not even sure we went over fully Bruce Arena's quotes from the other day about MLS and, and how they spend on players. But if MLS isn't going to jump ahead with their salaries, they're going to follow the CBA and go incrementally and only add new rules to allow teams to find ways around or to build upon a base salary budget. Then come on, let, let you know, let City Football Group bring in some guys. If if that's the advantage they have because they're owned by City Football Group, then NYCFC should why why, why shouldn't they get that advantage? I mean, we we this is the funny thing about MLS and MLS fans. Hate the rules. 
Hate the restrictions. Hate how difficult to understand they are. But then when somebody slightly goes outside of them, oh, my God, this isn't fair. It's a very weird uh, situation there. All right. It uh, doesn't look like anybody else wants to jump in here on a Thursday. Uh, uh, just a couple of notes here. I'm being uh, the, the show Fringe is being recommended to me. Anybody want to back that up? Do I get a second on Fringe? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'll take a look at Fringe. That show's been going on for a while, right? Okay. Uh, Robert also, uh, Eric uh, Winalda on Saturday this past weekend in a speech said that MLS has blocked over 200 players from from going overseas. I have not. I did not hear that. If that's a if that's a true number, that's pretty ridiculous. I, again, Robert, Mike. The, the caveat we have to remember is that more than likely, in some of those cases, those players, the the fee that was offered was well below what that player was actually valued by the league. And the league, the seller sets the price, okay? So I'm not going to defend MLS on the Taylor Twelman front or or barring certain players from going overseas when really the, the fee was fair, the fee that was offered was fair, and MLS was being restrictive for whatever reason. But the, the price of anything is set by the seller. I, I Look, I'm in my cell phone right here, okay? Just a regular Samsung smartphone. If I'd said that I'll sell this thing, it's 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 available for purchase, but I'm valuing it at a thousand dollars, and that's the only re- only um, price I'll sell it at. Then you can say, well, you're overvaluing your phone. That's ridiculous. But it doesn't matter because it's my price. I own the phone. I set the price. Same thing with MLS and its players. Any club and its players. Until the contract runs out and the player is free to move, the the team sets the price. That's that's what that thing is valued at. The market dictates. And when I mean the market, I mean the seller. Okay? So you can say, well, MLS overvalues its players, but a player's value to MLS is going to be different than a player's value in another system, in another country, for another team. There are, obviously, uh, there are lines that MLS sometimes crosses or doesn't cross that need to be addressed. Let's just keep that in mind. All right. Uh, let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. Again, if you're in the Mid-Atlantic, make sure you batten down your hatches and get your shovels and bread and milk. I think everything's already sold out. Uh, I, I'm not going to be fighting the crowds today. I, I went to the store yesterday. It was nuts yesterday. So I'm basically done, I think. I'm going to be decamping to get whatever. We'll, we'll figure it out tomorrow when it comes. I don't expect any interruption in our regular programming. Uh, so just uh, be aware we're going to be dealing with the storm here, or I will. Uh, but it shouldn't cause any problems. Follow Soccer Morning on Twitter for any updates. Anything else, Mr. Hayward, that I should tell people before I'm out of here? Yes, no, maybe, possibly. Thank you very much to Jeff Kasut for jumping on to talk about Mallory Pugh and the NWSL. Fascinating story there. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Kasut, and read Equalizer Soccer, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Later. Wide awake in the middle of the desert heat 100 miles to New Mexico With the devil in my limousine And the blood runs cold As we race like hell